Mic check. One, two. I'm in. I'm on. Praise God. Glory. It's so good to be with you, church. Finally, after so long of just waiting and preparation that's been taking place, that we are finally here. And it just feels like being home here this morning as well, church. So I just want to give you guys a big shout out as well, just for your patient endurance, just for your wonderful prayers. And for last night's welcome, and it was just so good. So I, I just add and echo the, the, just, just the thanks and the praise to you guys as well for just pulling out the stops and your welcome towards us. Praise God. Now, as I said last night, I'm really looking forward to getting to know each one of you over the course of time. But this morning, I just thought it would be good, perhaps, for you to get to know me a little bit, so I can just share a little bit about what God has been doing in my life up until this point. Is that okay? You guys good with that? Praise God. So I want to just take this opportunity just to thank the Lord Jesus Christ for turning this former drug addict into a minister of the gospel. You see... You see, I shouldn't be standing here right now. I should either be dead or locked up in prison serving a life sentence all due to drug addiction. But the Bible says that we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. Amen. You see, I wasn't always a Christian, but I grew up in a Sikh family. And I was told that if I was good and if I followed a set of rules and regulations, then one day, perhaps, maybe... I would get to heaven, but if not, then I would go to the other place, namely to hell. And so I decided to rebel against the whole system. I decided to do my own thing. I fell in with the wrong crowd of people, and I began smoking cigarettes from the age of 11. This then rapidly progressed on to marijuana, to speed, ecstasy, cocaine, crack cocaine, and then eventually heroin by the age of 15. It all started off as a a weekend thing, going out with my friends and just getting totally off of my face. But before I knew it, I was using on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, Thursdays and Fridays. And before long, I was using every day of the week. And whereas before I had the choice to either take it or leave it, I now discovered that that choice was now taken away from me and I became a slave to the drugs. What started off as a relatively small habit of, say, 10 pounds worth of gear. After a while, my body tolerance levels began to increase, and so 10 pounds worth of gear no longer cut it. I needed 20 pounds, 30, 40, 50, so on and so forth, until eventually I ended up on a 300-pound crack and heroin habit per day. Now, in order to fund such a habit, I was forced into a life of crime. Each morning, I would wake up in the morning and my thoughts would race from naught to 100 miles per hour, thinking, what could I steal, what could I rob, and what could I sell? I became a very desperate man, that if someone would have put a gun in my hands, I wouldn't have hesitated to squeeze the trigger. Life was no longer life. I was merely existing from day to day. Everything revolved around the drugs, whether I was happy or whether I was sad, whether it was raining outside, or whether it was sunny, everything revolved around the drugs. 
I had this love-hate relationship with them. I loved them because they took the pain away from me, but I hated them at the same time because I was a slave to them. At this point, my uh, family all washed their hands with me. No one would invite me around to the home because they thought that I would rob their possessions. I put my poor mother through absolute hell to the point where she wouldn't even go away for the weekend because she was afraid that she would return home and find a corpse lying there. I remember there were times when I'd catch my mom coming into my room in the middle of the night and she'd be pulling needles out of my arms and she would be checking my neck to see whether she can feel for a pulse. I tell you, no mother should ever have to do such a thing. Doctors... They gave me three months to live. And they said, you will be dead. If you don't get off it, you will be dead. There are no two ways about it. Now, what brought it to a point was the fact that one day I got arrested. And I'm in this police station being strip searched and processed. And as my top comes off, I look up and I see these two police officers standing either side of me with their jaws dropped. And I'm thinking, what on earth are they looking at? And then I catch a reflection of myself in the mirror opposite. And I see this seven stone bag of bones, this looking, at, at, looking back at me, this skeleton of a man. To the point where my cheekbones were all sucked in. My shoulder blades were sticking out and you can count every rib. I looked as if I had just come out of a, a concentration camp or something. It wasn't a pretty sight. And so I knew that I needed to get some help. Now, at this point, uh, a friend of mine had just completed a rehab program over in Oxford. And he said, Ron, you need to get yourself in. That it's worked for me and it will work for you. But the only catch is that it costs £12,000 for the year. Now, I was a junkie at the time. I didn't have that kind of money. And even if I did, I wouldn't have spent it on rehab. And so I approached my local drugs clinic to see whether they would fund me. And they basically shut the door in my face and they said, we don't believe that you're going to get clean in rehab. We want you to get clean in the community. And so here is a prescription of methadone and off you go. (laughs) Now, for those of you who don't know, methadone. It's a heroin substitute. It's a green syrup that I had to go to the chemist on a daily basis to consume on site. Now at this point, I just had lost all hope. And so I would go to the chemist and I would swig the methadone, hold it in my mouth, walk outside, spit it into a bottle, walk to the end of the road and sell it to another addict and I would go and buy some drugs. You see, I had just, I was just and I was helpless and the things the words that kept being spoken over me were once a junkie always a junkie and so I resigned myself that uh, to the fact that this is my lot in life and that I'm just going to end up being another statistic another drug death to add to the count and so I continued on like this for a while until one day a, uh, a friend of mine, she gave me a, a telephone number for a, a drug and alcohol rehabilitation center over in East London. I believe you know it. It's called Teen Challenge. And she said, Ron, 
You need to phone these people up. Now I kept throwing it on the back burner. I'd, and she kept on at me and I kept throwing it away. And then eventually I gave in and I called them. And within a week I was admitted in. And I went from using 300 pounds of crack and heroin, methadone on top of that, to using nothing at all. And for the next month, I was, my body was absolutely battered and broken as the withdrawals began to kick in. And just to give you an idea of what the withdrawals were like, if you can imagine flu symptoms. Multiply that by a hundred and you still don't come close to it. It was to the point where I was absolutely um, sweating, dripping with sweat. But at the same time, I was absolutely freezing. It was like my body didn't know whether I was coming or whether I was going. I couldn't um, eat anything any, or drink anything. Anything I did, I'd bring it straight back up again. I was just in constant and sheer pain in my muscles right down to my bones. I remember there were times when I would be walking around the center. I'd be climbing up the stairs and I'd have staff members with their hands outstretched ready to catch me because in, just in case I fell. Because I was a weak and a frail old man just walking around the center. I remember there were times when I would have to get up in the middle of the night and have to go to the toilet and I would have to get back into a sweat-drenched bed. But it was grim. It really was. And I was in absolute state. And so one day, one of the staff members began to challenge me. And he said, Ron, how long have you been on the drugs for? I said, for 14 years. He said, okay. This, he said, give Jesus one year of your life and see the difference. Because it was a year program. He said, put it in the scales, 14 years of drug abuse to one year with Jesus and see the difference. If nothing changes, don't worry. Go back to your own life. Nothing ventured, nothing gained, right? Now, as I said, I was a Sikh at this time. And I had a lot of Sikh pride. I believe that I was born a Sikh, therefore I should die as a Sikh. None of this conversion business. And the other thing was, the way I pictured it was that of a mountain. And at the peak of this mountain, you've got God. And people throw ropes to climb this mountain, and each of those ropes I constituted as a different faith or religion, whether it be Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, you know, all roads lead to Rome, as it were. But how wrong was I? Anyhow, I threw that conversation on the back burner and I gave it no more thought. And then I believe it was later on that uh, evening, it was the early hours of the morning. And it was as if somebody had cranked up the pain a few more notches. I didn't have the strength to go and call, start, go to the staff quarters and go and call for help. But the only thing that I could do was be curled up in my bed in a fetal position. And I was rocking just to find some comfort to ease the pain. And in the midst of that pain, I remembered the words of this staff member who told me about Jesus. And so I began crying out. I began calling out. And I said, Jesus, if you are who they say you are, and if you can take away this pain and you can make me better, I want to know you. Come into my life. 
And the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans chapter 10. Amen. You see, there's a a verse in the Bible that I absolutely love. And it's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 10 and verse 10. I love it because it's a twofold scripture. And it says this. It says the devil, the Satan, the, the enemy. He comes to do three things. He comes to kill you, to rob you, and destroy you. Why? Because the Bible says that God has made mankind in his own image. And every time the enemy looks at you, he is hell-bent on taking you out any which way that he can. Because you remind him of Almighty God. However, in the very same verse, Jesus says that I have come to give you life. And life in abundance. Glory to God. You see, throughout my drug, uh, drug addiction and drug abuse, I had burned a lot of my bridges with my friends and with my family. But the Bible says, God says, that I will restore unto you the years that the locusts have eaten up. And he really has. My relationship with my family today is so much better than it ever was before. I mean, when I was in rehab, I'd be phoning my family and I'd be telling them all about Jesus. And they'll be like, it's great, wonderful. It's so good that you've exchanged the needle for Jesus, but now you need to calm down off that Jesus fire. (laughs) You see, they thought it was a phase that I was going through, but it was more than just a phase. I remember coming out of rehab and um, my mother one day, she needed some groceries from the shop and I offered to go for her and she reluctantly gave me some money. (laughs) And I will never forget the look on my mother's face when I returned home after going to the grocery shop with a bag of groceries in one hand and her change and receipt in the other. The look on her face... The look on her face was if to say, my son was once dead, but is now alive. Kind of like the prodigal son of Luke chapter 15. Amen. You see, I have been clean, drug-free, and dangerous in the Lord for over 19 years now. And when I look back over my life, There is one thing that I note, and that is of just a a point in fact and evidence. And that thing that I note is that God is faithful. His faithfulness. For the word says, even when we're faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Amen. After coming out of rehab, I began working. And thereafter, I um, was, went off to Bible college. The Lord st- stirred me to go to Bible college. I graduated with honors. I met and married my beautiful wife who is here with us this morning. 
And we've been pastoring out in Reading, and today, or last night, the Lord has now led us here in Harlow, and we are really excited about what God is going to do. It was so wonderful. It was so, we were just blessed to have the seal of God upon it last night. And we are excited. We're really looking forward because God doesn't do things by half measures. I'm, I'm testament to that. The Bible says that he will take the foolish things that the world considers foolish and confound the wise. And if he can do it for me, he can do it for anybody. He really can. You see, the testimony story that I have just shared this morning isn't the testimony or the story of how, how great man is. No. But it's the story and the testimony of how great the God is who stands behind the man. Amen. You see, I had made an absolute train wreck of my life. But the moment that I surrendered my life to the lordship of this Savior, this is what he has done. I'm nothing special up here, folks. I'm really not. But it was grace, sheer grace that was extended to me. And that same grace today extends to you today. And so I want to encourage you that if you are here this morning and you have been hearing about Jesus that we've been singing about and sharing of, and if you do not know him, I want to urge you to come to know him today. And I want to challenge you, just like I was challenged, to give Jesus, if you know him today, I don't know where your walk of the Lord is today, to challenge you to give him one year of your life and to follow him and to follow hard after him. And I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed because my God doesn't know how to disappoint. Amen? The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I tell you, once you have tasted of him, there's nowhere else to go. Who else has the words of eternal life but the master himself? Amen. And so I urge you to come and speak with one of us. If you don't know the Lord, and we would love to introduce you to Jesus. Amen. Now, you have heard me quote from the book of Romans. And so now, if you will permit me to. I would love to give you just a, a very brief overview of this wonderful book. Is that, is that all right? Yeah? Praise God. Just a quick swig to wet the whistle, as it were. Oh, thirsty work. Praise God. C.S. Lewis was once asked a question to summarize the Christian faith. He was asked to explain in one sentence the difference between Christianity and every other religion. Now, C.S. Lewis, as you know, was a very clever mind, a very sharp mind. He didn't need a whole sentence. He just needed one word. Does anyone know what that word was? You stole my thunder, brother. (laughs) 
But you're absolutely spot on. It is grace. Unmerited and undeserved favor, which is an acronym of God's riches at Christ's expense. Now, as I said, I was born into a Sikh family. And I was raised on the belief system of works. And the Jewish people in the book of Romans had a similar perspective that they thought that the only way to, uh, to heaven was through this idea of works or earning your way into the kingdom. They believed that because they were the seed of Abraham and because they kept the law, that they were guaranteed a place in heaven. To which the apostle Paul said, you're wrong. So, the apostle, he devotes three chapters of the book of Romans to debunk and dismantle their ideology by asserting all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 In other words, there is not one person who is righteous enough to stand before Almighty God. Regardless of your heritage or descent or whether you keep the law or not, you cannot earn salvation. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, as a consequence, we all fall under the wrath and the justice of God, which is a terrifying Now you may say, but Rana, why would a loving God punish? Well, before we can understand the why, we must understand the who. And more specifically, understand who God is. You see, when people think of God, they usually have the idea of this little old man in a frame. But the Bible tells us that he is eternal father on the throne. And one of his attributes or his characteristics is that he is holy. And this attribute is clearly in the Old Testament in the book of the prophet Isaiah chapter 6. It is there that we find these two creatures called seraphim or seraphs, meaning the fiery ones or the burning ones, because they dwell in the very presence of Yahweh. Each of them have six wings. With two, they cover their face. With two, they cover their feet. And with two, they fly, crying out in the Hebrew, Kadosh, 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 or translated in the English, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, what does it mean to say that God is holy? Well, it means that He is perfectly and morally pure. He is pure, pure, pure. And because he is, it means that nothing unholy can stand before him. And so, if God is holy, and it, by contrast, mankind is not, then we have a problem. 
So what's the solution? Jesus. Hallelujah, my sister. Spot on. No, don't apologize. You are right. You see, what I have just shared is only half the gospel. And before we can receive the good news, we must understand the bad news. And we thank God that the Bible doesn't end in Romans 3, 23, but it goes on to verse 25, which Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones called the Acropolis of the Christian faith. As it says, for God set forth his Son as a propitiation. And that word there, it means that Christ absorbed and appeased the holy hatred or wrath of God towards sin. Wow. In fact, I love how John Flavel, a Puritan preacher from the 17th century, how he puts it. In that he relays this conversation between God the Father and God the Son. And it goes like this. The father speaking to the son says, My son, here is a company of poor, miserable souls that have utterly undone themselves and now lie open to my justice. Justice that demands satisfaction for them. What shall be done of these souls? And the son replies, My father, Such is my love for them to pity them, rather that they should perish eternally. I will be responsible for them as their surety. Bring all that they owe. I choose to suffer thy wrath, lest it be on them. Upon me, my Father, upon me be all their debt. And the Father replies with, But my son... If you undertake for them, you must pay every last mite and expect no abatements. If I spare them, I will not spare you. And the son replies with, Father, let it be so. Charge it all upon me. Though it prove a kind of undoing to myself, yet I am willing to undertake it. Wow. In other words, the son on the cross looks to the father and says, go for me, spare them and go for me. And the father pours out his wrath upon the Christ and thus provides atonement. And so God can now finally forgive sin because he finally punished it. At the cross of Christ. It's what we call as the beautiful exchange. It's where God takes all of our rags, all of our filthiness and our sinful works. And he picks them up and he puts them on Jesus. And then he takes Jesus' righteousness, his right standing with the Father. And he imputes it or he credits it into our account. It's what we call the beautiful exchange. It's the ultimate story of rags to riches. Hallelujah. 
And as we turn from our sin, and as we turn to God, God declares us righteous or justified. Romans chapter 5. It's where he says, you're no longer guilty anymore. I love you and mercy is yours. Praise him. You see, when Jesus hung upon that cross, as Dr. Piper said, he drained the cup of God's holy wrath in a matter of hours that would have taken an eternity to pour out on you and I. Let me repeat that. Jesus drained the cup of God's wrath in a matter of hours that would have taken an eternity to pour out on us. And he drained every last drop of that cup. And therefore, we have Romans 8, 1 and 2, which says, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so, God not only forgives us, but he also fills us with his Holy Spirit, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit not only empowers us, but he also equips us and enables us to live the Romans 12, 1 and 2 life, which says, Therefore, brethren, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, for this is your reasonable worship, service or spiritual worship, depending on what translation you read. Now note that this verse, it begins with therefore... And whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, you must always stop and ask what it's there for. Now, therefore is a linking word, as you know. And so Paul, he now brings and links the previous 11 chapters, and he now starts to bring the conclusion. And so, to sum it up, Paul is saying, That we were once all confined under sin and judgment. But Christ has made a way for us. And as we turn from our sin and as we turn to him, he justifies us and gives us his Holy Spirit. Therefore, Romans 12, in view of God's mercies, Let us present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. This church is the wonderful and the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior. And it is therefore that we can say with confidence and with boldness, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also 
to the Greek. Romans 1 and 16. Amen. He is such a savior. And he is mighty to save. And so don't let anything come between you and coming to know him. But trust in Christ. He is so good. He is unfailing. And he, he spoke the world into existence. Not only is he the creator God, but he is the sustainer God. I mean, have you ever noticed that the sun, never, that the sun forgot to shine one morning? No. It continually does what it's been created to do. This is our God. And he still suspends this ball that we call earth in the atmosphere. And he's still holding the very breath, our very next breath of life. Come to him. I'm coming into land now, so you can take a bit of a breath. But let me finish with Martin Luther's five solas, which summarize salvation. I'm sure you know it well. In the Latin, they are that salvation is by solo gracia, solo fide, solus Christos, sola scriptura, and soli dea gloria. Translated, it means that salvation is by grace alone, through, Christ, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, and all for the glory of God alone. It's all about him. Every bit of work of salvation, nothing of ourself, nothing to the world we bring, simply to the cross we cling. Amen. So we give him glory and we give him praise. Praise God. We invite the worship team just to, is the worship team coming back up now or what's going on? Or I'll, I'll hand over to Colin in a little while, but yeah. Um,